The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum listeners my name is Shakil Shah um, of Wolf and Coast Listers today um, the segment of um, ask your lawyer show is on and uh, we will be discussing immigration law so to be specific we are discussing immigration detention and uh, bail procedure uh, today with me we have our panelist uh, for today um, his name is Mr Mazrul Mustafa may I ask him Mazrul to introduce yourself uh, hi nice to meet you um, I'm a barrister at Church Court Chambers uh, I specialize in uh, immigration law and asylum law uh, and good to be here today okay so um this is a live show listeners and we will be answering your questions or queries if you if you have any um you can you can call in on 01582481822 that's 01582481822 you can also message in on uh, whatsapp at 0779481822 that's 0779481822 if you have any questions regarding immigration detention or bail uh, feel free to contact us and we'll be able to assist you as much as we can um so the f- the first area of immigration law you're discussing today is immigration detention so mr mustafa um what is uh, immigration detention um so basically uh immigration detention is um the detention uh, of uh, people in the uk who do not have the right to remain in the UK um so by immigration detention what we mean is detention centers across the country uh, where uh, people who do not have the right to remain um here uh, are detained so that um either their claims can be processed or their removal can be processed okay so who can be detained um so if we break it into two parts uh firstly if somebody enters the UK uh, without the correct documentation or without a right to enter the UK then of course they can be detained at the airport uh pending investigation and after investigation if it transpires that the person in question does not have the right to enter what we call leave to enter then that person can be taken to an immigration detention center the second category of people who can be detained um are those who entered the uk lawfully had leave to remain uh, that is in layman's term uh, the right to remain in the uk but then for some reason uh, that right to remain in the uk what we call in law leave to remain expired so they became an overstayer um, and then of course the um, home office can detain them because they do not have the right to remain in the uk okay so we uh, we recently had uh, a few cases where people were detained because they were overstayers or their appeal rights exhausted and stuff like that um and um, some of the people were actually working whilst uh, being overstayer is that is that escalate does that escalate detention well you see um uh, the answer is yes it it escalates um their situation it aggravates their situation because if they've been working um unlawfully in the UK Uh, and they've been encountered by the home office let's say during a raid <clears throat> then the reason why i would say it would aggravate the situation is because when they apply for bail that will be an aggravating feature which the judge will look at and which the applicant will have to deal with 
okay so obviously raids happen home office comes across and they stop them do they have to give a reason why they're stopping them or do, do they just carry on with their uh, investigation well you see of, of course they have to provide a reason for why a person is being stopped but what in terms of detention uh, what is very important to note is that the home office has to provide the person who's being detained with a reason for detention mm -hmm. so they must know why they're being detained Okay, and uh, do they get asked for their documents or any uh, evidence to prove that they do have, they actually, missed, uh, the homeless may be mistaken and they do have a leave to remain at that point? Well, absolutely. Um, I mean, the uh, Home Office um, officers have a duty to ensure that they do not pick up uh, anyone and everyone. Uh, they have They have a duty to ensure that they are um, detaining people um, who do not have the right to remain in the UK. And also detention, um, the policy um, is that it has to be used, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say as a last resort, but it should be used with care. Um, that is the policy of the Home Office. Um, so therefore, if we have a situation where, let's say, for example, detention uh, will not serve any purpose because less alternative means of control will serve um, the Home Office's purpose, then a person may be put on a reporting condition yeah. um, or they might be um, uh, placed with a residence condition, you see. Okay, so um, I know obviously the reporting conditions come after when you get bailed and stuff like that. So in terms of detention, where are the immigration people detained? Are they detained with the criminal prisoners or are they detained separately? Or how does that work? Yeah, so uh, if we break it into two parts, uh, firstly, a majority of um, immigration detainees are detained in specialist immigration removal centers. Um, so these are um, almost like prisons, uh, but less restrictive. Um, and they are not detained with prisoners. Um, so they, these are specialist um, facilities uh, built by the government for immigration uh, detainees. Sometimes um, people are detained with uh, people who have um, criminal convictions, and so therefore sometimes people are detained in prisons. This usually happens when, let's say, for example, um, a foreign national has been convicted of an offence, and after they've passed halfway through their um, a sentence, um, then um, the Secretary of State, that is the Home Office, can detain them uh, in prison uh, under immigration powers. But that is um, only um, if they've been convicted of an, uh, of an offence for which they're incarcerated. Okay. So I know we have come across uh, criminal cases where people are foreign nationals, they have been sentenced, and just before they come up to the conclusion of their sentence, just before they release, they get a removal notification. Does that hap always happen with the, the criminal convicts? Well, you see, um, again, we are touching on um, the area of deportation. Uh, what usually happens is um, after a foreign national has been convicted of an, uh, an offence, um, and um, they are um, uh, serving their time in prison. The Secretary of State, that is the Home Office, what they will usually do is they will send uh, that person um, a notice uh, that they intend to make a deportation order against that person. Okay. Um, now, let's say, for example, um, and 
what that notice will say is that give us reasons why we should not make a deportation order against you. Now, let's say, for example, that person has uh, made representations as to why a deportation order should not be made against him. And then um, they are given an appeal right. Uh, and then that appeal right is exhausted. After that point, the Secretary of State can make removal directions against that person. Um, but usually what we see uh, in these situations is that by the time the appeal rights are exhausted, either the person is in immigration detention or in the community because they've been granted bail by an immigration judge. Okay, so um, in terms of normal immigration detention, say someone is... Uh, uh, arrested from a shop working illegally and then they've been taken to a detention center how long can they be detained is there a time limit uh, the simple answer is no there's no time limit okay um there's nothing with within the immigration rules or legislation which says that um, a person can be detained for an x amount of time however um now we're going into the territory of unlawful detention um Detention must not be prolonged, and it must be for a specific purpose. That is, detention must be used for the purpose of removing a person. So the minute the purpose behind the detention ceases, detention becomes unlawful. So to answer your question, there is no um, specific time limit, and it has to be assessed on a case-by-case -case basis to determine whether detentions become unlawful. Okay. So in terms of obviously now someone's been detained and is there a, is there any way to get out of the detention? Uh, yes, there is. Um, uh, essentially, uh, there are four ways uh, by which um, a person can come out of detention. Firstly, um, is a very obvious one. Uh, let's say, for example, they've uh, made a claim while they've been in detention and that claim's been successful, then um, the Home Office will release them. Uh, the second uh, one is uh, by making an application to the Home Office itself, what we call uh, a Home Office bail application. The Home Office have a form which you can fill up and which you can submit to them with supporting evidence. And if the Home Office feels that, yes, well, this person um, is eligible for Home Office bail, then, of course, they will be granted that bail. The third one, um, of course, is the immigration bail by a judge. So you make an application to an immigration tribunal, what we call the first-year tribunal, and then it goes before a judge. The judge will hear competing arguments and then decide whether to grant bail. Um, if he decides um, to grant bail, then, of course, the Home Office will release them from immigration detention. The fourth one, which is a rarity, is you can actually seek bail uh, from the High Court. Um, but again, the High Court can only grant bail if it makes a finding that the detention is unlawful. Okay. Yeah, so um, I understand there are four ways of bail, as you explained. Um, the Home Office bail procedure, um, you touched up on it. Do the uh, detainee uh, fill the form himself or does he need legal advice on that or how does that work? 
Um, there's no need for legal advice. I mean, this form can be filled up by anyone. I mean, it's available online. And most of uh, the removal centers have um, online facilities. So uh, detainees can access um, the internet um, from the detention center. So they can download the form, they can print it, and, can, and, and, and they can fill it up themselves. It's advisable that um, uh, a solicitor is instructed because uh, there are some nuances in the form that a solicitor might understand better than a lay person. Mm. Uh, For example, um, often what happens is the form is simply filled up without adequate documentation. What do I mean by adequate documentation? So for example, um, if you say um, somebody is going to provide you with um, a financial condition support, that is they will guarantee that you will abide by the bail conditions, then you have to adduce their ID, their proof of residence documentation, their proof of income documentation, um, proof that they have the amount of money uh, that they uh, ha- will put forward um, if you know a detainee absconds. Now, um, these documents do not have to be submitted, but if you submit these documents in a sequential order, if it's up to date, then of course the chance of being granted bail is higher, uh, as opposed to if you do not submit these documents. Yeah, and uh, in terms of if you do a bail, uh, immigration judge bail, uh, do you would you still need these documents? Uh, Absolutely. So um, the form, uh, the Home Office bail form, uh, and the Tribunal uh, bail form are quite similar. So the first section um, of what we call the B1 form, which is the tribunal form, is the applicant's details. So they, so the basic information, their name, their surname, first name, date of birth, their home office reference number, whether they have an appeal pending, whether they have a claim pending. Um, the second segment on top of my head um, is in relation to the financial condition supporters, i.e. the people who will guarantee that you will comply with bail conditions. And then I think the third section is about why you say bail should be granted there's a there's a section uh, in relation to um, whether the management of the bail should be transferred to the home office if the judge grants bail. Um, so those are it's quite a basic form uh, which a layperson can f- fill up. But the important point to note is the supporting evidence um, has to be quite spot on, um, and that is where um, a solicitor. Uh, uh, will come very handy to an um, to an immigration detainee. Yeah, in terms of uh, doing the grounds for bail. Absolutely, and absolutely, and and advising on what sort of supporting documents an immigration judge would want to see. Okay, uh, in terms of uh, obviously there are certain criteria to grant bail. What is the criteria that the detainee has to meet to get a bail from detention center? So there's essentially, when judges consider bail applications, they're looking at two things. Uh, Firstly, uh, is the person's removal from the UK imminent? That is, will they be um, either removed or deported from the UK immediately? That's the first thing that they're looking for. Um, If the answer to that is yes, then usually bail application, the bail application will be refused. The second uh, element that they're looking at is will this person comply with bail conditions? In other words, will this person run away 
or will he or she keep in contact with the Home Office? So those are the two criteria that the judges are balancing in determining uh, whether to grant a person uh, bail or, or or whether or not to grant that person bail. Okay, so um, as you mentioned, they need financial condition supporters as well uh, in terms of the sureties, what we call sureties. Yeah. So who can be a surety and what's their role? So anyone can be a surety. Um, and bail applications can be made without um, sureties. Um, however, um, it's advisable uh, that a bail application um, has at least one financial condition supporter, i.e. Um, a surety. Um, and it can be anyone, but it is advisable um, that the person who stands as the surety is a person who is well known to the immigration detainee. The reason why um, I say that um, is because if um, the person does not know um, certain facts about the immigration detainee, then how can that person ensure or how can that person vouch uh, for the immigration detainee? Uh, and if they vouch for an immigration detainee without knowing fully his immigration history, without fully knowing his circumstances, yeah. then the credibility of the surety comes into question. Okay. So uh, just a reminder for our listeners, we are live today for Immigration Show. And uh, I do assist if you can call in on 01582481822. It's been 18 minutes and we haven't received any call or any message in terms of uh, if anyone has any questions, uh, I think we are very understanding. <laughs> That's why we're not getting any inquiries. But if you if you do have any inquiries, feel free to call in on 0158248822. We are live on Facebook. You can comment or even send a message on Facebook and uh, the admin team will pick up and we can answer the, your questions. The panel is here, a uh, very senior barrister who has been in immigration for um, many years and he will be able to assist you accordingly. Um, so now in terms of uh, sureties, uh, we were talking about financial supporters, how much money does financial conditions for our have to uh, to advance the, of the hearing? Um, again, um, there's no fixed amount, uh, but the crucial point is that the amount put forward by the surety has to be a sum which is important to that person. Just to give an example, if somebody has £10,000 in their account and puts forward only £1,000, that will not be enough um, because the judge will say, okay, if this person loses £1,000, um, then, um, you know, it may not... Yeah. Uh, it may not lead to um, um, a. Sorry, I'll just lame. Yeah. Okay. So there's a caller online. Um, so let's take the call and then we uh, carry on with the yeah, discussion. Sure. Hello. 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 Assalamualaikum. Wa alaikum. Brother, it means I'm from calling from Luton. Yeah. Yeah, my name is Emma Dali. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask you one question. Yeah, can I speak in Urdu? Uh, yes, you can. Yeah. Okay. You know, many companies indefinitely apply to Napa. Yeah. So, I have 10 years ago. Okay. 
आपको कितने साल हो गए यूके में मेरी तीसरी एक्सटेंशन है मुझे का रूट दिया हुआ है तीसरी एक्सटेंशन मींस सात साल हो गए नहीं अभी दो एक्सटेंशन हुई है ना तो तीसरी अभी मैं ट्राई कर रहा हूँ ओके okay, आपके पास टेन इयर्स रूट है आपका कौन सा वीजा है स्पाउस वीजा या Is it possible to ask him whether prior to these two uh, grants of leave to remain, did he have any leave prior to um, his leaves under the ten-year partner route? हेलो अली भाई आपको इससे पहले जो पहले एक्सटेंशन से पहले आपको क्या स्टेटस आप आपके पास कोई लीव थी किसी किस्म की या वीजा था या नहीं मैं मैं ऐसे वीजा पर आया था ओके ठीक है तो मुझे पार्टनर रूल के तहत मुझे एक्शन ईयर का वीजा दिया था इन्होंने ओके या ठीक है या सो द क्वेश्चन इज वेरी क्लियर सो बेसिकली um is that you have to have 10 years here uh with leave to remain as a partner after you've acquired 10 years leave to remain as a partner in the UK then only can you apply for indefinite leave to remain um so what we understand from the caller is he's had at the very least 5 years leave to remain um in the UK as a partner unfortunately because he's uh, under the 10 year partner route he can't apply for indefinite leave to remain until he has spent another let's say 4 and a half years or 4 years in the UK as a partner so until unless he's completed 10 years in the UK um with leave to remain as a partner okay uh, ali bhai aapka sawal unne answer kiya hai to wo ye keh rahe hain ki aapko matlab 10 saal pure karna padenge क्वालिफाई करने के लिए इनडेफिनेटली टू रिमेन नो प्रॉब्लम थैंक यू वेरी मच आपके कॉल करने का बहुत शुक्रिया स्टे इन टच ओके सो दिस वाज अ कॉल द फर्स्ट कॉल ऑफ द शो एंड ही वाज आंसर्ड एंड आई थिंक ही अंडरस्टूड द अंडरस्टूड द आंसर um just uh, a reminder for the listeners if you want to speak urdu bengali we can speak these languages and we would understand the questions you have if it's not in english we can still assist in multi languages so feel free to contact us on 01582481822 that's 01582481822 you can also whatsapp in and we'll pick your messages up it's 0779 481822 the number is 0779481822 we are also live on facebook live and you can also communicate with us through facebook live by commenting on our show and we will pick up the queries and we will answer um accordingly so now let's get back to our topic we were on um, uh, financial condition supporters um so we were on the money aspect that how much money they would need and, and stuff like that so what evidence would they need in in documents that to prove the money yeah so um usually um 
when it comes to uh, the financial condition supporters' uh, evidence uh, to confirm that they have X amount of money, um, it's usually three months bank statement uh, bringing it up up to date um, to the date of the hearing. Um, so essentially, what the immigration judge uh, would be looking to decipher is, is this money genuinely held by the surety? Uh, that is what they are trying to decipher. Um, and the way they will try and um, ascertain this is by looking at the entries um, in the bank statements and bringing it up to date to the date of the hearing. Often what we see during bail application hearings is that all of a sudden a um, sum of money enters um, uh, a person's bank account. Um, if that is the case, then a plausible explanation has to be provided for why that money has suddenly entered um, into your bank account, um, let's say five days before the hearing. If there's a plausible explanation, then that's fine. So what we usually advise um, clients is that uh, there's no need to have a enormous sum of money um, in the bank account. Uh, what the judge uh, is trying to find out is, are you willing to put forward a sum which is important to you, which if you lose will affect you financially? That is what uh, an immigration judge is um, is looking for, really. Okay. Um, so in terms of the job, they do they have to provide their pay slips and their job contracts? Um, ideally, yes. Um, I mean, they have to provide um, last three months pay slips, last three months bank statements, proof of ID and proof of residence. Um, those are the usual type of documents usually um, the um, immigration judge would want to see. Okay, we are just reaching the break um, and we should be back in the next five minutes. So please get in touch and, and uh, contact us on 01582481822. We'll see you on the other side. You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast, making available our popular programs from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. Welcome back, back listeners. Assalamu alaikum. Sorry for inconvenience. We, um, I think, uh, I repeat, show started playing. Uh, we are back to Ask Your Lawyer show, and this is an immigration segment. And uh, my name is Shaquille Shah of Wolf and Coast Listers. I also have panelists for today. His name is Barrister Mazrul Mustafa from Church Court Chambers. If you have any questions or inquiries, you can um, contact us through this show, or you, if you want to instruct Mr. Mustafa, you can do so through solicitors or you can leave your details with the Inspire FM team and he will be happy to assist you. Um, before the break, we were talking about immigration, detention and uh, bail procedure. We were on the financial conditions supporters and uh, the sureties. So in terms of sureties, we already discussed the role of the sureties, uh, what, what do they need, what documents do they need, and how much money do they, should they have, and how much money, how long they should have the money for. Um, now, the next question for Mr. Mustafa would be, uh, what's happens, what happens to the financial conditions for sports money? Yeah, okay. So... Um Essentially, what the um, 
financial condition a supporter does is uh, puts forward a sum of money, uh, pledges to the uh, immigration judge tribunal that um, if uh, the immigration detainee absconds, then they would be willing to forfeit that money. So let me explain what I mean by that is let's say, for example, um, the person who's in immigration detention is released uh, on bail as a result of a judge granting him or her bail. And then what happens is for some odd reason that uh, immigration detainee absconds. Then what will happen um, is um, a forfeiture hearing will be called upon. So the uh, financial condition supporter will be sent a notice asking them to attend a hearing. Um, and at that hearing, um, a judge will decide, uh, was uh, the uh, immigration detainee running away, i.e. absconding, the fault of the financial condition supporter? And if the judge concludes that this was the fault uh, of the financial condition supporter, then only will that money uh, that has been pledged will be taken away from the financial condition supporter. So therefore, at the outset, um, the financial condition supporter does not have to give away that money. It is only if um, the immigration detainee runs away uh, and it is found by a tribunal that it was as a result of the financial condition supporter's fault that the immigration detainee ran, ran away. Then only will that money be taken away uh, from um, the supporter. Yeah, we always get questions regarding being a financial supporter or surety and people are very reluctant and uh, scared of as to what will happen to them if they provide, uh, say, accommodation and financial condition for a person who is who is liable to be detained and he's in detention centre and they're applying and what, what is the worst case scenario? What, what can happen to them apart from money? Um, there's two things here. Uh, of course, money could be lost. Secondly, um, lying in court uh, is an offence. Mm-hmm. So if, if it is not a genuine case um, and um, you know, you've just been asked to stand up as surety for a person you do not know, um, and as a result of your lack of knowledge of that person, you have to lie in court, then of course that's a criminal offence, and that could lead to a conviction. Um, So the advice that we give is that people who know the person in immigration detention and can speak truthfully about that person in court should stand as a financial condition supporter, i.e. a surety. So in terms of being a financial supporter, do they have to be family members or friends or what category of the people? Uh, it can be anyone. Um, the basic requirement of that, again, there's no requirement. Um, there's no requirement as to the number of years you must have known the person in detention. There's no requirement that they must be uh, blood related. All that is required is that the person who's standing as a financial condition supporter knows the person um in immigration detention and knows basically the basic facts about that person, how he entered the UK, his immigration history, and how he knows, importantly, that this person will comply with the bail conditions and how he knows that this person will listen to 
uh, the guidance and the advice of the financial condition supporter. By this, what I mean is that, let's say, for example, uh, the person in immigration detention um, centre is released as a result of a um, immigration judge bail, and then he comes home and lives with the financial condition supporter. And then he says to him, you know, um, I feel like running away because I don't have a claim. I don't have a viable claim. At that stage, if the financial condition supporter says to that person, well, look, you know, do not run away, exhaust your remedies. And then after you've exhausted your remedies, if it is a negative outcome and if there's no further remedy that you can exhaust, then go back to your country of origin. If that advice is not heeded by the person who's been released from detention, then really uh, it is questionable as to whether that person should um, stand up as a financial condition um, supporter. So in terms of stopping someone from absconding or breaching a bail condition, how much can a financial support or surety do to uh, to ensure that, that this person would not breach bail? Well, this is a standard question that financial condition um, supporters are asked um, at a tribunal hearing. Uh, again, there is no fixed... Um, answer to this uh, but I would say common sense um, should apply Um, if let's say for example a financial condition supporter fears that the person might abscond then they should take adequate uh, precautionary measures for example ensure that if they have to report um, to a reporting centre take them to that reporting centre Um, If they're not able to do that, and if they fear that the person might not report on their own accord, get someone else to take them to the um, reporting centre. If, let's say, for example, um, they are required to stay at a particular place, what we call a residence condition, then ensure that that person stays at that place during the night. Um, If they abscond... Um, then there is a duty uh, on the financial condition supporter to contact the authorities to notify them that, look, I was the financial condition uh, um, condition supporter for this person. Unfortunately, despite my advice, this person has absconded. So therefore, I'm notifying you and can you take the necessary measures to uh, apprehend him and then detain him? Okay, so they need to t- take reasonable steps. Absolutely, absolutely, and they absolutely. They try to make sure that... This person does not abscond, and obviously, despite saying that, if he still chooses to abscond, then it's on his own accord. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, yeah. So, in terms of accommodation, obviously, shorties are called in court when they go for a hearing, and in terms, do they have to provide the accommodation, or how, how does the accommodation work? Again, um, for bail applications, there's no hard and fast rule uh, that um, you have to provide um, an accommodation. Um, a stable accommodation. However, uh, if an immigration judge sees that the bail application form does not have a stable accommodation, then the chances of uh, bail uh, being refused are quite high. However, um, I say this uh, with slight caution because this might then mean that people who do not have um, accommodation because they're destitute or they don't have um, a strong connection of people in the UK might be discouraged from applying for uh, bail. In this situation, if you're destitute and you do not know anyone in this country uh, or you do not have strong ties with someone in this country who who might be willing to provide you with accommodation, then still make the bail application 
And then uh, during the bail application, usually the solicitor or the counsel who appears for you will make the argument that, look, this is the reason why this person has not been able to provide um, an accommodation, a stable accommodation, a stable address. And what they will argue then is that grant the bail in principle, if he's able to um, secure accommodation, then he will provide the accommodation details and then the uh, Home Office can release them. Or alternatively, if it is because of destitution or because they don't have um, strong ties with a person in the UK, then what it could be argued in court is that the Home Office should provide them with some sort of accommodation. Um, Now, in terms of asylum seekers, um, there's what we call a Section 4 support. But if it's a normal human rights claim, a person who's relying on the human rights, then, of course, Section 4 support cannot be applied for, you see. So basically what should be done is um, a decision has to be taken as to whether uh, a bail application should be proceeded with. Uh, If a bail application is proceeded with, and the reason why, let's say, for example, there is no stable address is because they're destitute or because um, they don't have strong ties with the person in the UK who's willing to provide them with accommodation, then still go go ahead with the bail application. Try and persuade the judge that bail should be granted in principle. And if he's able to provide... uh, if he's able to be provided with accommodation by the Secretary of State, then, of course, he can be released. Um, or, in the meantime, if he's able to find accommodation, I don't know, maybe from a charity or something like that, then you know he can provide that to the Home Office. And because bail is granted in principle, the Secretary of State, of course, then can release him or her from detention, you see. Okay. So, um, in terms of accommodation, obviously you answered the question in terms of accommodation. Then the bail conditions. Uh, what bail conditions can they put on a detainee when he's released on bail? The current bail conditions um, that the judges follow, which can be found on the internet, um, <coughs> states that um, not too many bail conditions should be imposed. Um, bail conditions should be kept at a minimum. The usual one that we see is the reporting condition, that after they're released um, on bail, um, they should report to a home office reporting centre or a police station if there's no home office reporting centre in the area at a specific time and date. After that, what would usually happen is the management of the bail will transfer to the Home Office, and then the Home Office will keep, usually they will keep on that reporting condition um, either on a weekly uh, basis or or, or a um, fortnightly basis or a monthly basis. That's the standard um, condition that we usually see. The other condition that is often imposed is a residence condition. That is, the person must live and reside at a uh, specified address. Also, um, there there could be, and in terms of people who have overstayed um, and who are illegally in the UK, uh, there is the condition that they're not allowed to work or engage in any form of education in the UK. So those are the three types of conditions that we usually see. And then, of course, there is the condition that, you know, um, uh, the sureties will pay X amount of money if... Um, um, if the uh, person who's detained is released um, absconds, you see. Okay, so I know we obviously, but in some cases we uh, come across where they suggest electronic t- 
tagging or monitoring. Usually we do see in criminal cases where the people are released from criminal convictions or license, um, they get electronic monitoring. But now it is something which come to light that they actually can give immigration uh, detainees bail on the, the terms to be abide by um, electronic monitoring. Have you come across that? Or? Um, I have, um, but in immigration cases, this is a rarity. Um, usually, the reason why it is a rarity is because of a resource um, issue. Um, it can be imposed, um, and often what we say um, that uh, you know a person should be released on bail because he agrees to be electronically tagged and if he agrees to be electronically tagged then then of course that um, that offsets any risk of absconding but however um it's not usually imposed um i mean it's not a um usual thing that is done in immigration cases um like the way that is done in criminal cases okay um so in terms of the actual hearing when we have a hearing at tribunal Obviously, both parties attend, the sureties attend, the client is produced uh, in person or via video link. So how does that work, like a procedure of the actual hearing? Um, so, uh, I mean, of course, um, if there's uh, financial condition supporters, then of course they attend the hearing. Um, firstly, the applicants, um, legal representatives present the case. Uh, they make the arguments as to why uh, bail should be granted. Um, then usually what happens is the Home Office uh, legal representative um, will make the case as to why uh, bail should be refused. Some judges then proceed to make a, a decision on principle. Okay, you know, we looked at the facts uh, and on the facts I'm inclined to grant bail or refuse uh, bail. And then what happens is um, if the judge is inclined to grant bail, then he or she hears from the financial um, condition supporter. And then the credibility of the financial condition um, supporter um, is assessed. Uh, and if the judge is satisfied um, that the financial condition supporter is credible, uh, then a bail is granted. Some judges do it differently. What they do is they hear uh, everyone uh, first, uh, including the financial condition supporter and then make a decision. Others can grant um, bail even without hearing from the financial condition um, supporters. Okay, I think we are getting a call. Um, hello, Assalamualaikum. Hello, Assalamualaikum, brother. Welcome, uh, my name is Jamal uh, and I have uh, quick two questions related to immigration. Yeah. Uh, the first one is uh, related to my spouse. Uh, I'm a British citizen, and yeah. uh, my spouse was granted a spouse visa uh, almost a year ago. Yeah. But that was after a long challenge with the Home Office. They made a lot of mistakes. They uh, we had to go through tribunal court uh, for an appeal, and we waited about a year to get an appointment and at the end just five minutes before the hearing the uh, home office uh, apologized and sent only a fax to say they would draw their reasons okay so it, it delayed her so much uh, to get her uh, spouse visa and before uh, we applied to that she had also um, almost two years uh, on visitor visa 
because uh, I granted we we applied and we were granted that when we were abroad. Um, so uh, she's been in the country for almost five years. My question is, can she, based on uh, the length of time, yeah. apply for directly for indefinite? leave to remain rather than an extension for a spouse visa, especially considering the mistakes and the um, lengthy process we've been through. Okay. Okay, that's uh, the first question. Yeah. Um, uh, the quick question after that is related to the new, I'm not sure it's a new or not, but it's related to the uh, entrepreneur visa. Mm -hmm. I understand there is a threshold on entrepreneur visa if the entrepreneur has invested about 50 grand and they worked and proved they do uh, have an active, active trade with paying tax that they might uh, apply them to uh, extension or uh, certain work permitted uh, visa. Okay, that's fine. I'll put your questions in front of my panelist and he will be able to answer you. Uh, thank you very much for your call and uh, you can tune in to listen to your answers. Is that okay? Thank you very much. No problem. So as you heard the call, so um, the first question was um, his wife has been on spouse visa for one year. Before that, she was on a visitor visa and different routes of visa, but they obviously home office made a lot of mistakes and it delayed her stay now he's altogether she's in the uk for five years so he's asking if she can apply for indefinite leave to remain um my answer would be no she can't apply for um, indefinite leave to remain i i understand that the home office perhaps have made mistakes um but um uh, the caller's wife is unfortunately um confined by the immigration rules and in particular appendix fm of the immigration rules what appendix fm of the immigration rules uh, makes quite clear is that in order to get settlement um, as a spouse under the five-year route you must have lived in the uk um, with leave to remain as a spouse for five years um, so the qualifying so the probationary period is five years and in this case what we have is out of that five-year probationary period the caller's wife has only had leave to remain as a spouse in the UK for a year. So therefore she has to, uh, unfortunately, um, spend another five years, uh, uh, another four years in the UK as a spouse, and then she will be eligible to apply um, for indefinite leave to remain as a spouse okay. uh, under the five-year partner route. And if she reaches 10 years before completing this five years? Yeah, so um, again, um, if she has had 10 years lawful continuous residence in the UK, um, then of course she, she will be able to apply for um, indefinite leave to remain uh, under that route. But again, um, gaps in residence have to be looked at. Um, also, time spent outside the UK has to be looked at. So there is a variety of factors that would have to be looked at uh, before um, it can be said concretely whether or not she would qualify under the 10-year continuous lawful residence yeah, route. Okay, okay and uh, I hope that answers your question, uh, Mr. Jamal. Uh, now, the second question he's asked about entrepreneur visa, where he is saying that if they have an active business and they spent fifty thousand in the UK, can they uh, get a visa? Because I know it's off topic. And uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the simple answer to that question is: there's been a lot of changes um, in relation to uh, entrepreneur visas. 
um, the the previous scheme <clears throat> has been uh, suspended, um, and so there's a new scheme um, in place whereby. Um, firstly, the business has to be the business concept has to be approved by a body appointed <clears throat> by the Home Office, and if they um, approve um, uh, the business concept and the business plan, then of course they can apply. But again, they would have to meet the financial thresholds, the investment threshold, and the recent statistic shows that uh, <laughs> the number of applications under that, under that route is at an all-time low. Um, so I think what the call is referring to is the old um, um, scheme that was in place. Uh, there's a completely different um, um, scheme in place now. So yeah, as the, in terms of second question, uh, as Mr. Mustafa answered, that there is, uh, the scheme has been changed, so their 50,000 investment is not applicable anymore. However, there is... Uh, a new is a startup uh, absolutely yeah. um, startup Start, and yeah. and i think it's innovator yeah startup or innovator which means startup is so basically if you want to start a business you have to get endorsed by a home office uh, body which is uh, obviously um, accredited by home office and if they endorse the business saying this is a new business as qualifies then you get on to the yeah. application yeah. stage and in terms of innovator visa that is if you come with an idea absolutely absolutely idea where you can it still has to go through the body absolutely absolutely yeah. absolutely okay so in terms of the bodies do they have a list of the bodies or yeah so it's all like? um so there's a list um online um uh, on the ukba um uh, website um and it has all the procedures but again before one makes an application um you know they would have to seek advice from a specialist um, um in this area um Otherwise, the chance of the application being successful are quite low. Yeah. Okay, so I think the answers, uh, the questions were answered in, in very detail. And then we obviously touched up on um, um, the Innovate visa. Um, so today's show was based on uh, det immigration, detention and bail. And then we went off the topic due to some questions in relation to uh, spouse visa and uh, indefinite leave to remain, which were answered by Mr. Mustafa. We are nearly towards the end of the show. Um, just a recap. Um, this show was about immigration show regarding detention, bail, and um, the question related to bail. If anybody has any questions, we are obviously towards the end of the show. We will be obviously closing the show soon. So if you do have any questions, you can call Inspire FM on 01582481822 and the inquiries will be passed on to us and we can assist you accordingly. You can leave your number, name and number and details and we will get in touch with you in our own office times. So uh, it's only 20 seconds left, so I'm just lost for words. Um, so this is Shaquille Shah of Wolf and Coast Listers, and we have a barrister from Church Court Chambers. His name is Mr. Majrul Mustafa. If you do need to um, uh, instruct us, you can do, and our details are with Inspire FM. Thank you very much for listening to this show. Asalaamu Alaikum. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We stream our daily broadcast on inspirefm.org. You'll find all our daily updates on our social media at InspireFM Luton.